0: Welcome back to part two of Marlene Woolgar's story. In the previous episode, we've had a taste of what to expect in the rest of this story. It's good to see you back in the studio. How are you today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. It's lovely to be back.
0: Let's pick up the story from where we left off.
1: This is the Spirited Talk podcast. Stories and conversations about connecting with your friends and loved ones in the spirit world. With over 20 years of study and practice as a medium, here's the host of the show, Trevor.
0: And welcome back to this wonderful, and I really mean that wonderful story that we're hearing from our guest, which is, of course, Marlene Woolgar. I'm glad to see she's, she's ready now. This part is mainly going to deal with her spiritual connections and a better life with spirit. And I know that at the end of the last episode, she left us with a cliffhanger. Well, we'll come to that a little bit later on. Hello, Marlene. It's good to see you again.
1: Hi, Trevor. It's lovely to be back.
0: Oh, thank you. I really am excited about this episode. The question I've got to ask you, when did you become aware of the spirit world? And I know that goes way back to when you were almost wearing a nappy.
1: Well, it does. And I mean, my my earlier years, I was more psychic than mediumistic. And my, my first memory of, I don't know if you'd call it intuition, was that my brother had some friends who lived along the road from us. And he'd taken me along to watch them take down an an old tent that they built. Now, I was probably about three or four at that time, so he would have been seven, possibly eight. This tent took up most of their back garden, and the gardens where we lived at the time were huge, and it was made of curtains and sheets and whatever they could find, basically. It was held up with broom handles and bits of wood, The main pole in there was a spear. Now, I don't know if they'd got the spear from a jumble sale or where they'd got it from, but you'd be surprised what was around in those days. And they were trying to get the spear out of the ground. It wouldn't come out, so they tried to lever it with a spade. And I suddenly remember this fear. It was like clutching at my heart, so I couldn't breathe. And I said to my brother, I'm frightened. And he said, what are you frightened of? And I went, I'm really scared. I don't want to be here. And he said, they're only taking a tent down. And I was pointing at the ground and said, I don't want to be here. And I still remember this so clearly in my mind. So he said, well, let's move down the garden a little bit. And as we moved down the garden, I turned around. and As I turned, the spear flipped out of the ground and hit me in the face. It hit me in my lip and I've still got a scar there. I remember seeing my feet running along the pavement with my brother holding my hand. I was obviously in shock and I think he was as well. But what upset me was not any pain. I didn't feel any pain. It was my dress, which was one of my favourites, which was a white background with little blue waves on it and little yellow ducks, and it was covered in blood. And I was so upset that my dress had gone all red. And I don't remember getting home. I don't remember having my lips stitched or anything, but I do remember a few days, possibly after that, walking into the kitchen And my mum was talking to a neighbour and I just heard my mum say, and the doctor said if she'd been any closer, and the neighbour went like that as I came in. Years later, my mum said, the doctor said if I'd been any closer, I probably would have been killed. So that was my first experience when I was about that age. Second experience was... When I was at secondary school, my sister and I were walking home one lunchtime and where our family home is in Haywards Heath, around the corner from there, which was on our route home from school, was a lot of prefabs. They housed a lot of the Polish community in the area, but they were being demolished to build new houses and flats there. And as we walked along the path. Towards them, they were on the right hand side, uh, sorry, the left hand side of the road. We were walking on the right hand side to go around the corner to home. There was a big lorry with a trailer on it, and the trailer was full of telegraph poles. But in the middle of these telegraph poles, there was this big metal pole, more like a pipe than anything. And for some reason, I got that same feeling of the fear clutching at my heart. I said to my sister, we've got to cross the road because to me that pole looked like a gun and, and I thought something was going to happen. And we crossed the road and almost as we drew vertically with it, there was a big bang like a gun. And we both jumped and all of the telegraph poles fell onto the pavement. So that's the second time that it saved my life. And the third time with intuition was not so much in childhood, but when my husband and I were, we used to go camping a lot in Exmoor. We'd gone down there and we'd had glorious sunshine all the way down and we got there, it was raining. And then we'd heard the forecast was torrential rain for two weeks and we'd already paid for our campsite and everything. So my husband said, right, we got up the next morning, he said, right, we'll go to Barnstable and get you a raincoat. And again, I got this fear in me. And I said, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go and get a raincoat. I don't want to go. And he said, Don't be silly. You need a raincoat. We're gonna be camping for two weeks. We can't go walking or anything if you haven't got a raincoat. And very unusual, you know, because most women offered the chance of buying a new item of clothing, they'll jump. But on the way there, I was in such a state, he even had to pull into a lay-by because I was in tears saying, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go, you know, we'll go another day. But, no, we went to Barnstable. I think I ended up getting a cagoule or something. And on the way back, I fell asleep in the car. My husband had turned off down this little road to a place called South Moulton, which was on our way back to Exford. All I remember is suddenly waking up and shouting his name. And he swerved off the road and pulled in by this gate. And as he did, it was like everything was in slow motion this Volkswagen Beetle came round the corner towards us and there was an elderly man driving, but he was looking at his passenger and he was talking to the passenger and it's like everything was in slow motion. And I saw the passenger looking through the windscreen and his hand seemed to be coming up really, really slowly and pointing at our car and the look of horror on his face. And he said something to the driver and the driver slammed his foot on the brakes well, it had been raining, so the car came up broadside and hit our car, and it did write it off.
0: But that would have been head-on if you hadn't... Have- it would
1: have been head-on, yes, but it wrote the car off because it hit and completely buckled the front of it. The police said to my husband, "It's was lucky you were so quick pulling off the road, my husband just looked at me like, yes, but it's because you shouted my name. He wasn't going to say anything. So that's the third time that, you know, it has saved my life being intuitive.
0: Yeah. And I know that we were talking off camera yesterday during the pre-records about how this comes about in people. How do some people have this instinct or this, you know, ability? And, and we were talking about it in and- I sort of put forward an option that perhaps it's because of the way that we're brought up that we're, we've got this gift. And if our parents allow that gift to stay on the top, then the spirit world can communicate with us much easier than those that have been to the school of hard knocks, perhaps, I don't know. But this is obvious from your story, that the spirit world have always been aware of how easy it is, or how available you are to be communicated with. And I think that's exciting. I want to just go back before the stories, in, in a sense, to when this your spiritual abilities or your psychic abilities, you became aware that you had them. Where, where would you say that that really happened for you?
1: That's hard to say because they were happening so thick and fast at one time in my childhood that it was like second nature and I thought everyone was the same. So it's hard to say. Um, I was... I told that I could be a medium when I joined Sussex Healers on their course. I joined with my friend Sue and the lady who ran the healing course for Sussex Healers told us both that she thought we could sit in her circle.
0: Are you sort of saying that your first outing, if you like, was with a friend and it was off to this group called the Sussex Healers?
1: No, because I'd been to see the likes of Doris Stokes oh, yeah. with my sister before and I thought she was amazing. Oh, yeah. I'd been to see an elderly lady that a a friend of mine that I worked with had recommended to me. I'd been to her, and she was very intuitive. And my dad said, oh, well, he said, I think I'll go and see her and find out if she's genuine or not. And I remember him coming home, and he said, well, I don't know. She seemed a nice enough lady, Um, and I don't like to speak ill of the elderly. But he said, She told me she could see a case inside another case inside another case, and she could see me going on holiday, and I can't see that happening. And I said, Did she say where? And he said, Well, she said, It's like all over the world. Can you ever see that happening? And within a matter of weeks, my brother had turned up at mum and dad's, and he was working for PO at the time as cruise director. And I think it might have been their wedding anniversary or something. And he, he handed them a suitcase. And my dad opened the suitcase and there was another suitcase inside. And then there was another suitcase inside of that. And inside of that was a wallet with two tickets. And I think it was either a Caribbean cruise or a world cruise or something. (laughs) So she was right. It was a a lady called Mrs. Sharp.
0: Oh, right. Okay.
1: And she she used to live in Burgess Hill and she moved to Brighton. And she even predicted us moving to Hurstville Point because when I went to visit her in Brighton, she said, I see a house move for you the other side of the Downs. And I was in Burgess Hill at the time, and I thought, I don't want to move nearer to Brighton. But of course, to her, it was the other side of the Downs. So (laughs) so she was right with that as well. Going back to the intuition that that we were talking about, and we touched on losing my friends, I used to have precognitive dreams as well. I didn't know they were that at the time. And as I said in the first episode, that I used to share a bedroom with my sisters, and I remember one night my mum came in and woke me up because she said I've been shouting in my sleep. She said you must have been having a bad dream. You were, you know, you've been really upset, but you'll wake your sisters up. And I went back to sleep. And the next morning I couldn't remember the dream at all. But the next morning my mum asked me to go up the road. We lived um, at the bottom end of our road, and there was a big green sort of playing field with swings and roundabouts and that on one side, houses on the other, and then the pub and then a row of shops. She wanted me to go and get a loaf of bread. So I went up the road and I saw my friend and her sister, they were friends of me and my sister, um, sitting in their dad's car. And I said, where are you going? And they said, we're going swimming to Shoreham or Lansing. I can't remember. It's wherever. They've got a power station down there. And always get the two mixed up because you sort of run from one straight into the next one. And this fear clutched my heart. And I remember instead of going to get the loaf of bread, running home and saying to my mum, you've got to stop them. Because uh, in my dream, they were being swept out to sea and I was running up and down on the beach, shouting their names because I couldn't swim And the next morning, my mum came into the bedroom and instead of coming in with the usual cup of tea, she sent my sisters downstairs and had to tell me that my friend and her sister had drowned. And it was something to do with the sign that's meant to say don't swim when the red flags are flying, uh, have been vandalised or missing or something like that. And something had been turned on from the power station outlets or something and dragged them under the water. And for years, I thought that was my fault. I really thought it was my fault uh, because I kept thinking, maybe if I had said something, maybe they wouldn't have gone. And I used to say to my mum, why do I get all these things? Why why does it keep happening? And she just used to say, it's just the way it is, darling. It's just the way it is. And I always thought if ever I get round to writing a book or I find somebody who's interested in writing it for me, that is what I would call it, the way it is. Because, um, yeah. So it blighted my life for quite some time. Years later, their sister came to me for sitting, not to connect with them for another reason. And we were chatting afterwards and I told her about my dream and she said, "Um, what did you say you were doing? So I said, well, I was running up and down the beach screaming their names because I couldn't swim. And she said, you saw what happened through my eyes. That's what I was doing and I still can't swim because I was learning to swim at the primary school at the time and it put me off swimming because they were both really good swimmers and it put me off and I've never learned to swim but I made sure that all our daughters swim. Uh,
0: I just need to define this. When you went to Sussex Healers, was that your first workshop or experience in a, a, a learning environment?
1: No, because my friend and I went to self-awareness classes first with a very spiritual lady who taught us a lot. And we learned to meditate there. And And I, I do feel that it's something that is lacking in the teaching today that there's no self-awareness taught before people embark on working as mediums. I think it's really important because you need to know yourself where you're actually coming from.
0: Mm. Oh, I couldn't couldn't agree more. My good friend Mark Stone and I were talking about this a few days ago, and we all know of the uh, Gordon Smith. His story is that he sat in circle for many years before his teacher allowed him to speak. And we hear that of some of the fine mediums and And it was nothing unusual to be in a circle and not be allowed to speak for a couple of years while you're developing. But nowadays, everybody wants to go to a weekend workshop and be a medium, you know, charging. charging.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And this this is a problem because it means that the the genuine mediums who have dedicated themselves to becoming more self-aware, to training and learning. And I don't even though I've been teaching for 20 odd years, I don't believe I ever stopped learning. I still like to go to the Arthur Finlay College and go on a week's course. You know, I'll still do go to the occasional weekend workshop because I don't think we ever stop learning.
0: No, no, no. You're absolutely right. If you've stopped learning, you're starting to rot. The area that you come from, you, you say Sussex healers, and I can't help but mention Harry Edwards. I, is there, are there connections there?
1: Not with Harry Edwards, but another well-known healer. I'm trying to think how people knew him. Pierre Tester, he was a friend of my brother's. His real name was Morris. And I remember my brother arranged me to go and see him once. And this is what interested me in healing, because when I was at school, I used to be quite good with the trampoline. And then one day I suffered an injury. When I was doing a front drop, I somehow ripped the deltoid muscle in my shoulder. And for years I was plagued with pain with that. And being in an office and constantly typing didn't do any good. And my brother said, you need to go and see Pierre. So I went to see him and he took me into this lovely room. He had a beautiful house in Hayward's Heath, took me into this lovely room. And I remember pale greens and pinks and that. And he sat me on this stool in front of him and said, now I'm going to touch your shoulders. I just want you to relax. So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, if the girls at work could see me now (laughs) and trying not to laugh because it seemed a bit weird. But his hands were touching my shoulders really lightly. And I remember all of a sudden it was like I felt a click in my shoulder and it felt like really lovely warm water being poured down my shoulder. And he said, I think you'll find that's much better now. And that was the the only time I ever met him. He and his wife actually were known for their generosity when I went in. She came to the door with all these trays of cakes she was making for a local children's home. <laughs> um, but the only time I saw him after that was I was in the kitchen one day at home preparing dinner, and I suddenly saw his face in front of me and then it was gone. And I texted my brother and I said, is Pierre okay? Because I've just seen his face. And he texted me back and said, oh, my God, his wife just texts me to say he's gone. So it was like the same day that he passed. I just saw his face and it was gone again. So, but um, no, I, I never met Harry Edwards, but.
0: Well, no, I think that's, uh, you're far too young for that anyway, but that can't be too far away from where you were, uh, the healing sanctuary that's in that area of the woods, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think he's just um, on the sort of Surrey-Sussex borders, the Harry Edwards sanctuary.
0: Have you ever yes. been there? No. I think one day I would like to go there. I have this feeling that when you go in, a wave of energy is going to hit hit you and you're going to be almost instantly aligned and attuned by it.
1: Quite possibly. I've heard it's a magical place. Yeah,
0: such an an incredible man. In this healing that you were doing, was that spiritual healing or hands-on healing or a system healing?
1: It it was spiritual healing. We had a two-year course to do because you had to learn about all of the different systems of the body. As the teacher said to us, it's no good somebody coming to you and saying they've got this condition, and some people feel more confident if you do put your hand on that area or over that area. If they come to you and say they've got, well, just to use an example of somebody that I used to give healing to, chondromalacia patella and you've got no idea what that is, and you've got your hand on their shoulder when the problem's in their knee, they might be thinking that you're a fraud or something. So we had to learn all of the systems of the body, digestive system, endocrine system, and so on, the bones of the body. And we would practice hands on, hands off, just standing opposite them, opposite our patients, as it were, but most people feel more reassured if you have your hands on their shoulders. They feel if you're not touching them that nothing's happening. So it's down to the individual. And we were always taught, you ask, do they mind being touched?
0: Who was teaching you? What was It, it wasn't an SNU course then you were on? No, it
1: was um, just the Sussex Healers, which is an independent association. They're a member of the um, British Alliance of Healing Associations, yeah, I wanted to make sure I went through the right channels, as it were. I didn't know about the SNU then, but it was spiritual healing. So you asked to be used as a channel for that healing energy. Yeah. Whereas some forms of healing, you can be giving magnetic healing and you might be getting the most amazing results. But I used to find if I'd been giving healing, say uh, when they have the mind, body and spirit shows at the Hawth in Crawley, I used to go up there with Sussex healers and give healing and I could be giving healing all day. By the time I came home, I was absolutely buzzing with all this wonderful energy. And yet I'd have some people say to me, oh, I went to this person and they did make me feel better, but they can only do one or two healings a day because they have to go and rest. And that's known as magnetic healing. So what those healers were doing, they might be making that patient feel better, but they're actually giving their own energy to them rather than allowing that energy to flow through from the spirit world and just to be a channel for that healing. And yet once you send that thought out to the spirit world, it doesn't mean that you can't speak to the patient if they ask you a question. You're not in trance. You're just allowing that energy to flow. Mm.
0: I hope that makes sense. Oh, no, not entirely. <laughs> you gave me a little technique yesterday when we were in pre-discussions, and I did try that out on our Jane last night. That was something I, I learned from you. And talking of healing, I know that we spoke in a pre records yesterday. Uh, Marlene, I think you've got a nice story to share with us about your uh, situation with your husband's knee at one point.
1: Yes, he'd hurt his knee, and uh, he asked me if I could give him some healing on it because he was in a lot of pain. I started giving the healing, but it was really strange because I, I, it just felt different. It felt really strong as if I was plugged into the mains of something. I do remember that. I said to him afterwards, how does that feel? And he went, that felt really different. It felt strong. I said, yes, it didn't feel like, it's almost like it came from a different source, So a bit later that day, I sat and I was just chatting with my team upstairs, as I call them. I was asking where that healing came from. And I just heard a voice, and I can't say if it was male or female. I just heard, it's the silver. I was told it was a new energy being brought to this world to help heal the problems of this world and that anybody wanting to use it just needed to say the words or send the thought out. I call upon the silver to heal this person. But I was told that it was not a healing method to be used for profit because if people tried to charge for that, that ability would be taken away from them. So in in its pureness and its goodness, it was there to be a benefit to the world for healing, but not to be made a profit. And I've never charged for healing anyway, ever. I I would never do that.
0: Going back to Dave there, how did he react to this healing?
1: Oh, he was fine. You know, he said to me, that's that's amazing, because he knew that it was different, but it seemed to work for him. It, It did seem to work for him, so...
0: Mm. Yeah. What was the first spiritualist SNU, spiritualist church you went into?
1: Could have well have been Seaford Spirit, which is an independent spiritualist centre. I don't know if you've heard of Robin Hodgson. He's the president. He's an absolutely wonderful man, a wonderful medium himself and teacher. And I think that might have been the first time I went into a spiritualist centre.
0: Who was the first major medium that really influenced you? Was it Doris?
1: No, it wasn't actually. It was Tony Stockwell, because although I met him through my friend Sue, who'd already seen him working, and a friend of mine took me to see him demonstrate as well, he was running weekend workshops or seminars in Eastbourne. And so my friend and I started going to those twice a year. And after a few years, he invited us both to become tutors for him. So we were teaching at those seminars, which was quite lovely, really. And I have an enormous amount of respect for him because he works his socks off for spiritualism. He's got a brilliant sense of humour, so learning is always fun with him. But I would say he's probably been the most influential in lots of ways. But then my first teacher, Celia, I can't take that away from her either because she was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. She taught us so much. And taught us discipline as well, Mm. which is what you were saying about earlier, you know, speaking when you're spoken to and Mm. (laughs) it's like being a child again, really.
0: I am pleased that I'm able to produce these presentations free to you at this time. However, they are not free to make and incur ongoing costs in equipment and technical production. Help me to keep this valuable service free for the majority by becoming one of the Spirited Talk Partners. Your regular donation will be rewarded with access to additional content. But more importantly, you'll know you are helping to keep Spirited Talk growing. For more information, visit our website support page at spiritedtalkpodcast.com.
1: You're listening to the Spirited Talk podcast. Subscribe now to be part of the growing community. Go on, your spirit knows it's right.
0: It's that time where, Marlene, you get to answer one of Arthur's non-spiritual questions, and you have to be honest. Are you ready for the challenge?
1: I'm ready. Number three.
0: Number three? Okay, Arthur, here we go. Here is your chosen question. Question three. If you could know the absolute and total truth to one question, what question would you ask? Ooh, that's a deep one.
1: It is a deep one because um, there are so many questions Do you know, that is a really hard question to answer. At one time, I used to question why people have to suffer, especially people who are so kind and loving and spiritual. They always seem to suffer the most uh, with illness and disease. And I came to realise the answer to that question myself, which was that the physical body is the bit that's suffering. The spirit is invincible and indestructible. Questions I would ask. Maybe, why is it some people are so unkind? Because that is something I don't understand. I'd like that answer, even though in my head I'm saying maybe it's because they've been badly injured at some time by someone and that's made them go that way. But when you consider that children are born innocent and then some grow up to become murderers or just nasty people in general, or jealous of everyone. Yes, I'd like to get more insight to that. So that would probably be the answer I'd be seeking. Well, that is a
0: fascinating answer and a very good answer, I must say. And and to be honest, while you've brought that subject up, I right now am wondering, this country and as the rest of the world has been in lockdown for near on, well, over 12 months, coming on probably two years by the time it's all clear that everybody's been locked away. Everybody's had a chance to look back on their life and and realise what's good about it and, you know, appreciate the beauty of the the world, etc. And then come one day when they can unleash their yeah, energy and get outside, they go out and they leave their litter and they wreck our countryside. What on earth is going on in these people's minds? I really don't get it.
1: Yeah, it, it's very, very sad to see the mess that they've left behind. Is it just that they're just so desperate to get outside that they've forgotten? that they just left it and come home and forgotten? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I do believe it's almost like there's a little bit of pandemic madness in some people where they've been contained for so long. They just want to be out. They want to be free. They don't want to think of responsibilities or anything. They just need to get out of those four walls they've been inside. Who knows? I always try to see both sides of the problem. It doesn't take away the fact that they have left litter behind. It would be a lovely world if people would pick their litter up. I'm a terror. If I see somebody drop something down as they're walking along in front of me, I pick it up, run up and say, oh, I think you dropped this. Mm, (laughs) I I pass it back to them. And they're normally too embarrassed to say anything. Mm,
0: No, Jane knows I'm the same. Uh, She hates it when somebody does that in front of us because she goes, oh, no because she knows I'm going to go pick it up and say, excuse me, you dropped your crap here. Would you like to take it home and dump it in your own garden? And I don't mince words. It, it upsets me. Listen, don't get me on a high horse. Honestly, my friends will say, don't get Trevor ranting. It is his age, he's an expert at it. So let's get back to that story, Marlene. Great answer. Thank you for that. I want you to pick up the story, Marlene, from an evening you had at one of your circles, one of the circles that you were at at the time. Do you want to pick up the story? And uh, ears open, people. This is a good one.
1: OK, well, our teacher said to us she'd arranged a special evening for us as a treat and we all needed to be at her flat on such and such a date, such such a time. Um, because she had somebody coming along who was an accomplished physical medium. So, of course, we were all really excited, wondering, oh, who's this going to be? Who's this going to be? We were all sitting around in this room, which had been blacked out, and the door opened and in walked my brother's friend, Colin. And when she'd actually turned around and said to us, we've got a very special evening with Colin, I just did not put the two together because although I knew a Colin Fry. I thought, oh, who's this medium, Colin Fry? Because the Colin Fry I knew was a bit of a joker and always up for a laugh and used to have us in hysterics all the time. And, of course, the door opened. He walked in. He went, hello, Marley. (laughs) Had a huge hug from him. And my teacher said, I didn't know you knew Colin Fry. I said, no, it's the same one. (laughs) Yes, and over the years, I started going to sit for him with another friend of mine who used to sit for his development in his early years of developing. And uh, she used to pick me up and take me up to his place in Hayward Heath, because by then I was living in Hurst, Hurst Hurstbury Point. When he used to go into trance, we were each allowed to ask a question, but only one question. And his communicator, Magnus, would come through and speak to us. And um, he'd go round one by one, you know, and what is your question, my dear, and so on. And I remember one day my husband was really annoying me. He went, oh, when you go to see Colin tonight, you should ask Magnus this and you should ask Magnus that. And I went, I've got my question. I know what I'm going to ask him. Oh, no, but I think you should ask this. And I went, well, I'm not going to because I've got my question. I only get to ask one. So, And I hadn't said anything to my friend Wendy or to anyone else for that matter. And we were all sitting there, and it got to my turn, and I asked Magnus my question, and he answered it. And he said, before we move on, and I thought, oh, is he going to ask me if I've got another question? Because I always had loads. He said, I believe your husband has questions of his own to ask, my dear. <laughs> and you could have heard my chin hit the floor. And he said, might I suggest you bring him with you next time? <laughs> uh-huh. And he looking at me like, What? (laughs) But he caught me out lots of times because his trance and physical was incredible, and I feel very privileged to have seen that. There was one day, and people listening might think, right, that's it, she's absolutely barking mad. My eldest daughter was still quite young. We'd just moved to her and I had her in my arms in our bedroom, which has got a balcony, but we look out onto this beautiful pond with trees and everything, And so I was jiggling my daughter up and down and I was looking at the trees and I suddenly thought, I'm sure that tree trunk just moved. And I looked again and I'm without a word of a lie because I've had it confirmed by Magnus. (laughs) It wasn't lack of sleep. It's like part of the tree trunk moved away and it was like a little man made out of bark. And disappeared into the next tree. But as it did so, it's almost like it looked at me and grinned and disappeared into this next tree. And I thought, I must be going mad. I I don't think, no, no, that's my imagination. No, I I didn't see that. But that evening, of course, we went up to Collins and my husband came up with me. I didn't say a word to anyone because I thought they're going to think I've lost it. (laughs) So um, we were sitting and we were. It got to my turn to ask a question, and I was, I started with, um, "Magnus, I don't quite know how to ask this question." And he went, "You're going to ask me about the elemental you saw today, aren't you, my dear?" <laughs> and I went, "What?" <laughs> really thick. And he said, "The elemental. You believed your eyes were playing trick went tricks when you saw him move." from one trunk of a tree to another. And I went, so it wasn't my imagination. And then he went on at length to say to us all that um, they only show themselves to certain people. And that uh, he said they're the only things that are able to shift between this world and the spirit world. And they can shift from one to the other as they choose. And I just found it fascinating. And on the way home, my husband's going, why didn't you tell me about that? <laughs> And I said, probably because I thought you might think I was mad because I thought I was. But then you see, that's happened several times because when I was quite young, about seven, this woman used to come into the bedroom and wake me up every night. My mum and dad always came in to turn off our bedroom light and kiss us all goodnight when they went to bed. The first time it happened, I was lying on my side facing the window and I felt a touch on my shoulder. thought it was my mum turned over and saw this complete stranger and screamed the place down. Mum and dad came running in and the woman disappeared, but this kept happening. We Well, in fact, they took me to the doctors and the doctors said it was night frights and prescribed, believe it or not, Mogadon, which was a very heavy tranquilizer. I think, in those days. And they used to give me two of those a night on his, that was his prescribed dose. But she didn't come back on because after that we moved house and, of course, she wasn't interested in where we'd moved to. And when years later, my mum and dad said, that woman that used to wake you up at night, what did she look like? So I started describing her and I saw them looking at each other. And they said, that's the woman who had the house before us. She loved that house. And she always thought she'd never leave it. And my sister was, my youngest sister was there. And she went, oh, that's the one that used to come and wake Marlene up, isn't it? And I looked at her and I said, did you see her as well then? And she went, yes sous why didn't you tell mum and dad? And she said, because everyone thought you were going mad and I thought they think I was too.
0: Isn't it fascinating though, these matter-of-fact things that happened when we were young and I had a few of those as well, these matter-of-fact things now, every every day of our mediumship life, we want them to happen again. We're like, oh, please. And, and we'd be absolutely yeah. excited if, if these things happen now. But as kids, it was like, oh, yeah, I've seen an elemental. Well, we didn't know them as that then, but yeah, there's a fairy or a leprechaun. But, but as I said, you
1: know, With the elemental, if it hadn't been that Magnus had confirmed it and I I hadn't mentioned it to anyone, nobody knew what I'd seen except for me. Not even to my husband because I thought he'll just say it's lack of sleep, you know. But I, I was just so amazed when i was struggling to get the words out and magnus just took over
0: you've talked about two of my heroes and one of the things that got me hooked to this was paranormal tv channels uh, had certain programs on them that i started watching the sixth sense with colin fry crossing over with john edward and, uh, Tony Stockwell investigates. Even the three big ones apart from Haunted House, which was rubbish, but th- those were the three big programs. And I remember looking at Colin and thinking, what a man. This is incredible. And Tony, I absolutely loved him. I loved his personality. I love that silly way he's got the way he has of looking, uh, everything about him. I thought, I'd love to do this. If, if ever I'm a medium, wouldn't that be great to go down that road? So you're talking about two of my, my heroes. I've I've only ever met Colin, but I've not met Tony. You've gone on a lot more with your relationship with Tony and you hinted about that earlier on. Do you want to spend a few moments and tell us how you developed this relationship with Tony and what you now do or did for a while on behalf of Tony?
1: My friend and I started going to his weekend seminars in Eastbourne and he said to both of us one day, would you like to put together like a mini session and see how you get on with it so I can't remember what I taught I I always try and think of something really way out there that nobody else is going to think about or think of and um I didn't realize but the people that are coming to the class were told to give Tony feedback on how we did (laughs) I can't remember if it was Tony himself or Stuart his other half that said would you be interested in being tutors on our seminars So we both started and um, they used to run in, I think it was March and October. So say, for example, if Sue was teaching in the March, I'd still go along and I'd run a couple of classes. And if I was teaching in the October, she'd come along and she'd teach a couple of classes as well. And we absolutely loved it because the thing with Tony and Stuart is, despite all his fame and the fact that he's known worldwide, he's very, very grounded You know, he's really grounded, he hasn't changed, he's still Tony, he's got no airs and graces, he's just a really likeable, genuine guy. I had the honour of being asked to go and teach with him in Australia with Lynn Prober and several other tutors. So, you know, that was a biggie for me. When you were touching on the paranormal, I did do a stint for Paranormal Tours for a while as their medium. And I remember going to Nottingham Galleries of Justice with them. They used to tell my husband where we were going, but he wouldn't tell me. He'd book a hotel for the night because we'd work right through the night and then have a couple of hours sleep before he drove home. But I was asked to try and connect with wherever we were going and I'd just sit and see what I could pick up. And then he'd email the information to them and they'd confirm it. And it's, it amazed me how much I actually did get. But in the Galleries of Justice, I remember that we were downstairs in the what they called the women's quarters. I used to carry a tape recorder around on my wrist so that if I heard anything or felt I needed to record, I could just press the button and have my hands free. And I remember standing there and I felt taller all of a sudden but I knew I was pregnant and I didn't allow myself to go into trance. But I remember saying, my name is Elizabeth. They call me Lizzie, but my name is Elizabeth. And I am here because my man is here. Well, then I sort of came back out of it. And when we played the tape back, you can hear my voice saying, my name is Elizabeth, I'm here because my man is here. And in the background, you hear a man's voice saying, Martin. I give you my name. Well, everybody's going, oh, my God, oh, my God, you know. And then two women in, like, they had a little free session. Two women asked me and my husband if we'd go upstairs to the men's quarters with them and see if we could pick anything up. So we were up there and all of a sudden I saw this little bald man and he was as wide as he was tall and he had this massive belt on with all these keys and they're going, can you see anything? Can you see anything? So I turned my tape recorder on and I said, yes, and I described this man to them and I said, he's really annoyed, he's quite belligerent and bolshie because we're in his territory and we haven't been invited and we shouldn't be here because this is the men's quarters. And I said, if he wants to put his name, his voice on my the recorder he will and if he doesn't he won't because he's like that when we play that back as you hear me saying that there's a man's very indignant voice saying i heard what you said but as with evp of course it it comes they so can add to it and then it disappears so but that was quite an experience <laughs> So over
0: the years, you then built up a a great friendship with Colin. I mean, you'd known him from way, way back, but Colin played a bit more influence in your roles?
1: He was always encouraging me, telling me that I should be doing this, I should be doing that. He did invite me to go and work with him in Sweden at his centre out there, but the dates that he gave me clashed with me working on Tony's weekends, and I'd already made that commitment to Tony. I do remember Colin really embarrassing me once when a group of us went to see him at Fairfield Halls in Crawley. And this was shortly after he'd been appearing on TV and everything. And he got us seats and we all sat in this row and we're sitting there. And um, first of all, he said, oh, I've got a few friends in the audience. And he said, now, where are you? Where are you? He said, Jan. And our friend Jan Dayton stood up and he went, now Jan is one of the most wonderful spirit artists that you will ever meet. And Jan's going, oh, don't do this to me. sort of 3,000 pairs of eyes on her, you know. And then he made me stand up. He said, Marlene, where are you? And this light came on me. And he's going, Marlene is an absolutely incredible medium. And I'm like cringing at this with all these people looking at me. And it was funny because there were some people that came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I'm sure I know you from somewhere. And uh, he he was a devil. I I said to him, I'll never forgive you for that. I was so embarrassed. But, um, no, uh, he was just always encouraging me. He told me that I should be doing trance and physical and... um, which I did sit for for a little while.
0: Funny enough, I was actually just going to ask you that. Were you ever ever inclined to go into the physical side of things yourself?
1: My friend Wendy, who's long gone now, unfortunately she set up a circle because she believed that I should be sitting for trance and physical and she's the same one that used to take me to Colin's evenings and the same one that used to sit for Colin in his early development. So she set the circle up and the trance was coming on in great leaps and bounds. The physical... There were a few things happened, but we did have some people sitting with us who, they weren't husband and wife, they were partners and they were always arguing. And I don't think that was the right energy really to bring into the group. But I've had physical things happen since my friend became ill and the circle folded. I've had things happen I'm sure you know yourself that any medium listening will agree with me. We all go through phases of doubting ourselves and thinking, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. It's You know, I'm no good at this. I do remember being at the college once and my friend Sue had had to go home because she was in agony with her neck and shoulders. And I was lying in, I think we were in a triple room, but it was only two of us using it. So I was lying in this huge room on my own thinking, oh, I I think I'll give this up. I I don't think I'm going to do this anymore. And I heard a noise and I turned the light on. And when I go to bed every night, I take my wedding ring and my watch off and put them on the bedside table next to me. And my wedding ring was rolling across the table towards me. (laughs) And I go, all right, all right, no, I will keep doing it. I will keep doing it. And another time in Norway, doing a sitting for this young girl, And we were in a room of this flat that had just been totally refurbished. So they were letting us use this room and all we had in there was a table and two chairs. She was only a young girl. She would have been in her early 20s. And I remember getting a connection with her mum. I remember having my fingers like this really close together saying, your mum is sending you a piece of jewellery and it's so tiny that you can keep it in your pocket or your purse. And whenever you feel the need, you can take it out and know how much your mum loves you. And the girl said to me, well, I don't know what that is because my mum only died two weeks ago and we haven't had a chance to share her jewellery out amongst us yet. And I just said to her, but you will get that and it will be soon. And she she related all this back to me because I forget what I told people, but she related it all back. It's like she'd got a photographic memory. Anyway, we got up to leave the room and she went in front of me and as she was walking, I just saw something come through the air and I thought it was a fly or something. And she jumped back and I jumped back and we heard something hit the floor and she bent down and picked up an earring, a stud earring, still with the back on. And she said, can you put your fingers like that? And I went like that and it just fitted in that bit of my fingers. Now, how incredible is the spirit world? And we got back to my friend who organised, or he lived across the road in Norway from where we were. And I'm going, we got an aport. And this poor girl, she's going, what's an aport? <laughs> and um, you know, she she just kept putting it in her hands, saying, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. And she said you said it was going to be soon. I didn't think it'd be that soon. I thought it was when we went to share her jewellery out, I'd find one earring or or one little stone or crystal in there. So how incredible is the spirit world?
0: I presume you've been to some of Scott Milligan's physical seances?
1: I've been to one of his physical seances in Burgess Hill, but I've not been to many of them, because a lot of them aren't done in this area anymore. You know, he He lives, I don't know if he still lives in Burgess Hill. I know he's got a business in Burgess Hill, which obviously has been closed because of the pandemic. Yeah, I've been to one of his circles and he started his development with my friend Sue sitting in her circle. And then the man who discovered Colin Fry used to sit for me for my development, but then he suffered with a really bad stroke and couldn't use the stairs at my friends anymore because we used to sit in her coal seller basically and so he started having scott to his house and training scott he was a very very enlightened wonderful man but my friend sue recognized scott's abilities as well and he used to do trance and that for them in their circle
0: just tell us what sort of qualifications you've acquired throughout your career
1: well i haven't gone down the snu route um And I might be wrong not doing that because several tutors over the years have said to me, you should be teaching here and so on. But it's not just the cost of doing the training, it's the time, it's having that time to do it. And I don't have that time to do it. Plus, even if you do train there, you're not guaranteed that you'll get any work there. Plus, some of my methods of teaching, some consider a bit unorthodox. I I don't want to be taught how to teach when I've been teaching for 20-odd years. And, uh, well, since 1998. So I don't want to be taught how to teach when I'm getting results with the way that I teach. Because I just sit and I I allow spirit frequently to influence me with, we're going to do this today. Or how can I come up with a new exercise for everyone you know i i was given an exercise once and it's not exactly a guided meditation it's an energy energy exercise maybe because obviously every thought every word every deed carries its own energy because if you think of memories that made you happy that that makes you feel happy if you think of memories that made you unhappy that makes you feel unhappy As a human, you know, as as a human race, we've got a habit of pushing those unhappy memories under the carpet, not recognizing that they still continue to influence us. And those memories could be anything. It could be a time in your life that you felt um, you wish you'd handled something in a different way. You wish you treated somebody in a different way. You wish you could have been with a loved one as they passed a spirit. Um, It could be anything but we don't realise it's holding us back. And so the spirit world taught me this exercise, which I've then taken on and shared with people all over the world, really. It's taking people to, you don't decide where you're going, you allow yourself to go with it. So I get people standing in a particular spot, they go back into the past and someone will come and meet them. If it's nothing, if it's not someone who's already passed or anything like that and they want to deal with something in the here and now with somebody else, they can do that. So it's up to the individual how it goes. And when I was working overseas with Amon Downey on a trance weekend, I did this exercise. And when the group came back, this young man opened his eyes and burst into tears. Um. After he calmed down, his wife had calmed him down, he was telling us the story of when he was working overseas and he had a phone call out of the blue to say his mum had been taken ill, she was in hospital, he needed to get home. He could not get a flight. And he never got to say goodbye, in a sense, to his mum. But he said, my mother came to meet me. And he said, I physically felt her holding me. And he was so in awe of it because he wanted to share it with the group. You know, I let people keep it private if they wished to. But he said, "Um, I actually felt her stroke my hair just as she did and pat my cheek just as she always did. And she said, you silly boy, don't you realise that every thought you've ever had of me I've heard and I know how sad you were that you couldn't get home but she wanted to know that her passing was peaceful. Um, another girl used it in the here and now, and she was on, um, uh, well, she was. She had three jobs. She'd got children. Her husband had left her for another woman, but she was working her socks off to be able to look after them, and her children used to go to her parents while she was working. So she, she said, you know, In a way, he'd not only taken himself away from us, he'd taken me away as well because I'm always working. Her husband was quite well off but didn't want to give her maintenance or anything. And when she said, you've got to pay me maintenance, he said, take me to court then, knowing she hadn't got the money to do that. And she always felt a bit intimidated by him. So in this exercise, she confronted him and she said, I was really shouting at him and I feel so much better for doing that, you know. And we, she said, it's, it's just helped me heal anyway because I had a real go and told him what I think and told him what his children will think when they get older. And then a couple of weeks went by and I had an email from her and it started off with, OMG, you'll never believe this. She said um, she'd had a letter from her husband's solicitor offering a lump sum plus regular maintenance payments. And she said, it means I can give up one of my jobs and that lump sum means I can take the children on holiday. And I said, because it's an energetic level, so that man would have felt something, not knowing what it was, but that would have filtered through. You know, it's, it's an incredible exercise, but that is something Spirit gave me and I've seen it change people's lives. And I'm in awe and feel so humbled to the point of feeling quite emotional that they gave that to me. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and we've already discovered that you've been influenced by some fantastically well-known people, Colin Fry, Tony Stockwell. You've just mentioned the incredible Eamon Downey in that conversation. Just oh, past I love while. him to bits. I, I love him to bits as well. He's an amazing man. But I know that in speaking with you yesterday, you mentioned um, you've been on workshops with, and when I say workshops, you've been a teacher with uh, Darren Britton, one of our very own guests.
1: Yes, we met on one of Tony's weekends, actually. We were both tutoring. There was only one seat left at the tutor's table and it was next to me. And he came in and sat down and we started chatting and he kept looking over my shoulder and in the end he said to me, look, I'm really sorry, but who's this guy? He said he's got dark rimmed glasses and he's putting them like that on his nose and he's going like that, like Eric Morecambe. And I went, that's my dad. (laughs) And uh, we hit it off. And we had a hilarious weekend because, as you know, he's got a brilliant sense of humour. Oh yeah, we had we had an outrageous weekend actually, um, which is probably another story when we went and got married. <laughs> but that's another story, and that is just Darren to a tea. So yes, he's he's an incredible medium as well, one of the best.
0: Yeah, I, I got on with him very very well. He's a bit. Um... Uh, what's that OCD what's that, whatever that because he insisted on having notes and he, everything we did in the interview was his notes etc he's very very organised as a man oh
1: he is, except, yeah he's an excellent except author. when it came to
0: remembering the title of his book oh my goodness that took us a few times of recordings to get that out oh really what from, in
1: a sense, uh, to from innocence to innocence, to innocence, innocence. innocence.
0: Yeah. yeah but he kept getting confused on the subtitle and um, the, oh, right. <laughs> the partners of spirited talk have heard all of the outtakes on that. And there was a few words were said when he got it wrong. So uh, what are you up to these days then, Marlene?
1: Well, since the pandemic, I've been doing Zoom meetings and services and things like that. I don't do any private sittings now. I do if I'm away teaching and I'm asked to, but I don't do private sittings because being a nanny, of course, I'm on nanny duty as well. I'm kept busy doing housewifely duties, but I've been doing a lot of writing as well. And um, I'd love to find someone who's interested in publishing poetry or philosophies. I'd like to get the life story down because there's so much more and we barely touch the surface. But I've been here many, many, many years, that's the thing. And I'm still only 29. Yeah,
0: exactly. But
1: but I'd love to get some of my poems published and, and my philosophies because a lot of my philosophies, again, a book called Just For Today with different philosophies and things to make people think. But publishers nowadays, they seem to be more interested in the next blockbuster Novel,
0: really? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm the same with you, same as you. I've been around this a little while. I have a memory full of stories and philosophies and things that I could share with the listeners. And I always feel guilty about taking that time to do it. So a lot of the spirit to talk shorts. In fact, there's only been one that's been done by me, which was the rainbow one. But I, oh, that, that was beautiful. And it's true as well. And I would love to do more on my own and put them on spirit to talk. But it's not about. Um, I would like to encourage everybody else. So I do know what you mean and uh, about, you know, we have these memories. But then again, Marlene, you've been on Spirit to Talk now. This is two hours of your recording time. And of course, you can always come back and share more stories and stuff with us. You do know that, don't you?
1: I do, but I'd still like to hear some more of your things because I really loved the rainbow. I thought that was so beautiful and I felt all of those colours as you were describing them. It was incredible. It really was. And I think that you're not only selling yourself short, but ben- but denying other people the right to be able to hear some of that. Well, perhaps
0: so. But on the rainbow one, there was an interesting fact that somebody picked me up on and said, you know, you got those colours wrong. And I actually didn't say it in in, in the recording of that, but I reported that exactly as it was because I journalise everything I do. So I was able to refer to the notes. Now, the fact that I got the colours wrong is that's how I seen them at the time. And the fact that the colours influence on me may be wrong, according to some people, was... That was what they did to me at the time. I wasn't going to adjust them just to make them spiritually correct. No, That's how it happened.
1: Exactly. And everyone has their own interpretation of colour. You know, because some people might say red is anger. Others might say red is energy. So you experience those colours as you needed them.
0: Marlene, have you got an online presence? Have have you got a website that we can send the listeners to have a little look at?
1: I do have a website. You can't contact me via the website anymore. And I know that some of the links on there don't work anymore, but Yahoo have been messing about for years now. I, they kept changing my password or telling me I needed to change it. And my daughter, who set the whole thing up, now can't get into the website to do anything. But It does have a lot of information on it, and it's wwwmarlene wolgarcom there's lots of information on there.
0: Let's just repeat that again. That's Marlene, M-A-R-L-E-N-E. Yes, hyphen. hyphen Woolgar. Woolgar.
1: That's dot com.
0: Okay. So they can find out a little bit about you on, on there. And of course, you've got a very big presence on Facebook.
1: Well, I, I've got lots of friends on Facebook and followers. I've got quite a few on Twitter. In fact, I meant to say to you, the poem that I recited on Spirited Shorts not so long ago about my dad, Mm. I realised yesterday, it's because it came up on my screen on Twitter, it's had 175 shares and nearly 20,000 views. Wow. So the other people like
0: it. <laughs> well, Marlene, I, I can tell you that I'm uh, statistics um, driven with the podcast because it's important. I need to know what listeners we've got. And when I started the shorts, I wasn't expecting too much. But every time a short goes out, a Spirit Talk short goes out, my figures are boosted, my downloads. And as an example, as we record this right now, yesterday, Jackie Gunningham's poem went out last night. And Jackie's one of the reviewers on the site. Hello. Jackie, it's good to mention you in a podcast at last or a podcast. Jackie's went out and before I went to bed last night, which is like two o'clock in the morning, I refreshed the figures on on my distributor site to see how many downloads it had. And Jackie's alone had had 98 downloads. And that (coughs) is phenomenal. So well done. The Spirit to Talk shorts are working. And if anybody wants to know more about those, you need to go to our website and then go to the bit where it says get involved. And very shortly, you'll be able to buy tickets at a very, very, very silly giveaway price to come and join us to do the live recordings when we we do them as a group. Uh, we're coming up to the end of this interview. Marlene, I have to thank you so very, very much for what you've shared with us. And I know that it's only a scratch on the surface of what we could have covered, but we have to think of our listeners and their time. Just as we wrap up here, I want to ask you to leave our listeners with a message or a piece of philosophy, and then we're out of here. So Marlene, I hand it to you.
1: Okay, well, just one of my short ones from my hopefully soon-to-be-published book, Just For Today. Just for today, forgive yourself for the past, accept yourself in the present, and trust in yourself for the future. Thank you.
0: Marlene Mulga, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
0: And that brings another...
1: You know something, I thought afterwards as we were closing, I never told you about when I worked at Woolworths and um, in Haywards Heath there used to be a mental hospital and on a Saturday they used to allow some of the patients to come out and walk through the town. And my very first day at Woolworths, It had double doors leading in. And if you faced it, um, I was through the double door on the left. And you'd first get the uh, sweet counter. Then I was on the stationary counter. Then it was haberdashery. And I was there on my first day, and one of them called across to the girl on the sweet counter. Jesus is there. He's coming. And I looked outside, and there was this really tall man with long hair and a beard long flowing robes and sandals on. And I didn't know at the time, he was patient at the hospital. And he came in through the doors near the sweet counter and he stood and he, he drew himself up and he looked all around the room, all round the shop, and then he just stared at me and he walked across to my counter and he went, you, like that, you see. <laughs> And I'm sort of shrinking behind the counter and he just turned on his heel and walked out again when they thought it was hilarious. And he used to do this every single time I was there. Every Saturday, he'd come in, look around the shop, come across to me, fix me with these blue eyes and go, you! Like that, see. One day I saw him before he came in the shop, and I said to my friend, cover for me. And I was on my hands and knees, crawling along the floor to haberdashery, and I was hiding down there for ages and ages and ages, and eventually I thought, he must have gone, and I go like this, and he's standing right opposite where I am, at the haberdashery (laughs) 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 camp. And the girls in, in Woolworths thought it was hilarious. But when I look back now, I think, was he mentally ill? Was he a psychic? Was he a medium? Did he see something in me that I didn't know was there at the time or that I had an inkling there might be something weird about me? But I'd forgotten to tell you that story. (laughs) It just suddenly came to me.
0: And that brings another episode of Spirited Talk to a close. A reminder that there are many ways you can support these podcasts into the future. Start right now by subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on right now. You are also welcome to join our Facebook podcast community group, where hundreds of listeners and the guests come together to be part of Spirited Talk. If you'd like to contribute financially from as little as £5 per month, you can become a partner and access exclusive content and know that you're helping to keep this valuable information source going into the future. You can find out more about this and much more on our website at spiritedtalkpodcast.com. A huge thank you to my partners and to my guests today. From me, Trevor, thank you again and goodbye.